Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Like a Street Photography Collective. I'm Ricky, and today's guest is Chris Facey. So once again, once again, thanks for taking the time out, being a guest on the show, giving the listeners something to listen to. Please introduce yourself, where you at, where you live, what you do, anything you'd like the world to know. Hey, what's going on everybody? My name is Chris Facey, as Ricky just said. I'm a photographer based here in Raleigh, North Carolina, originally from New York City, Brooklyn, uh, and uh, I do a lot of work in the in the sense of uh, covering the black experience, and I do that editorially, commercially, and personally. Nice, nice, nice. So, uh, what takes you to North Carolina from New York? Um, the quick and easy answer is peace of mind. Um, you know, it, it's cheaper cost of living down here. I could afford an apartment here <laughs> versus struggling to make an apartment happen in New York City. Um, kind of parking down here. I love the parking. That's a big thing for me. Um, and I'm, and it's been it's a slow pace of life. So I'm learning to add more patience in, into who I am. So that helps too. Mm-hmm. So I, I know exactly what you mean. I, I live, I'm currently stationed in Okinawa and it's a kind of like island, island life. Everything's slow and mellow. The people are never in a rush to go somewhere. I'm used to that fast-paced city vibes. You know, you know what it is. You're from New York. Oh yeah, yeah. oh for sure. But that's a, it's been great because being down here, I'm forced to kind of like mix the two. Mm-hmm. You know, so I still have the New York grind mindset, and you know, and the and I guess the resiliency. But at the same time, I'm being reminded to take time for myself and. Mm-hmm. Kind of smell the roses of yeah. sorts, you know. Smell the roses. There we go. You just gave me the name of this pot. Smelling the roses. Nice, nice. Uh, but yeah, I want to thank Jim for recommending you. We linked up and we actually scheduled this fairly quickly. Uh, as I told you earlier, I just record so many of these that I'm trying to. I, I'm not trying to stop. I want to record more, but. Uh, just scheduling. I got a new job, and that's kind of the busy part. But that's not important right now. I just want to say thank you. Uh, we'll get into photography now, and I want to know what it's like shooting in North Carolina compared to New York. Way different. <laughs> Way different. So, so in New York, it's so much stimulus going on that you feel like when you're out you kind of have to react to everything. Like this, all this, you'll be hard pressed not to go out and make a photo in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. You know, here it's not as active. Only on certain days do you get a little, which is cool because you kind of set your watch to do it. Um, but it also forces you to look a little deeper for for uh, images. Yeah. And I think that means I think that means more. They mean more when you do it that way. Not to say that they don't mean much in New York like that, but it's just that you have to you have a different way of having to go after the photos here. You know, it might not be with um, a person doing something like I'm always looking for like this key, this gesture or something of a person that is like that we will overlook. Um, I'm kind of got to look a little bit more at uh, even closer look at shadows, even closer look at structure even closer look at form, you know, because there's not going to always be people out. Yeah. 
So that and it and it does that. So it, it forced me to slow down. So where I would have been running around crazy with, um, you know, like a twenty eight thirty five, um, here you don't really need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you can really, if you want to go out with a ninety, you could go out with a ninety one thirty five. You know, and try to make work because it's that much, that much space. Yeah, and I know exactly what you mean. That's kind of like what I'm experiencing now here in Okinawa, or it's what I've been experiencing for the past four years. And uh, it's it's completely like you explained. Like you can pick pick which lens you want. You want to go out with the that telephoto. I shoot with a seventy five. I don't got a ninety. I wanted a ninety, but I don't got it. But you can go out there and you can take your time to focus and. It gives you a exercise on building your patience, especially if you're used to that fast city life where, like you said, you can you, you need that fast reaction speed. You know, with with the 35, you got your zone focus, which is a lot easier than the 90, and you can just pop off. But in these slower paced, you know, communities, you have to really think about your next photo. So I definitely know what you're talking about there. And I've been um, I'm getting real good at zone focusing that fifty mil. Mm. People, people should be afraid, man. Because when I master that, <laughs> when I master that, you shoot in uh, meters or feet on your zone focus. Feet, feet mostly. Okay. Um, I know, and you would think as a veteran, I would be using meters, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It just makes more sense to me. Feet it always, that just always has. I set for my twenty eight mil. It only comes in meters, so it's like I just always do the math. Like right, this time, I'm this is, <laughs> and I just make the adjustment. So like, I'm a meters a win guy for that. I'm a meters yeah. guy. Only, only it's a fun, it's a silly reason, but only because the numbers in meters closer to the numbers on the zone focus on the focusing scale. That's it. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, it's it. It's, that's all. Yeah, it is whatever fair. works. But- Whatever works, works, bro. As long as you get the shot, I don't care. You can use inches, cinnamon, I don't care. As long as you get the shot. Exactly. Uh, I, I want to ask a question. I'm, <clears throat> I'm trying to host a, a group podcast after this recording. And one of the things I'm, I'm going to ask is, uh, how did I write it down? I got I got to think about it. All right. I got to find it. I don't, I don't want to get I'm, I'm going to come back to that one. Um, but let's go ahead and... Uh, tell us about when you started making photos, and when you started, what genre did you begin in? Oh man! So I started um, photography, getting into photography when I was in the army. Still, mm-hmm. um, as you know, when you active duty, it's um, it it really is a lifestyle. It's not a job. You know, every day. And you wake up is dedicated to whatever you got to do today for your unit. Mm-hmm. I've always been a creative person, so I needed a creative outlet. You know, before this, I was, you know, writing poems. I still do. I was writing raps and things. Um, but being active at the Army wasn't really providing me that. It wasn't giving me the opportunity to really do that, to flex that muscle. And if it was, I didn't know where it was at. It was um, in the barracks, I promise. <laughs> that's where I was at, right in the feed. <laughs> So I came, I came home on a, I think a pass. I don't think it was leave. I think I came home on a pass. And my best friend, whom I, who I call my brother, uh, he was telling me about all this money he spent giving this photographer um, to photograph some search that he was making. Mm-hmm. 
and me being so naive. I was like, bro, I could have did that. How you probably pay so much? These photos is whack. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I could have been this. Da, 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 da. Like, so all I needed is a camera. And this, he gave me his mom old. It was an old Fuji film something. Yeah, I think it was like, if I'm lucky, it was it eight megapixels somewhere? It was somewhere between eight to 12 megapixels. It was yeah, old, bro. Originals. Um, <laughs> it was old, old digital joint. And uh, he gave it to me, and I'm like, Dad, I'm going to go, I'm going to take this back to me to Fort Drum, and I'm going to watch that. Don't even worry about it, bro. We're going to be right. We're going to keep all the money in-house. Mm. I go back to post. I'm messing with this camera in my, in my barracks room. And I'm having a good time photographing different things, trying to see how it works, get an understanding. I said, how do my photos don't look like some of these photos? I'm looking at it online. Like, what's this blurry background stuff? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, what's all this thing? So it started, started opening the can. So I was, I am looking. Oh, that's that's bokeh or bokeh, whatever you want to call it. It's that. I don't have that. I don't, just don't do that. And I started realizing aperture. And then I started learning the process. I was like, oh, I can't do this. I need to get a new camera. Okay. Clearly, I need something with interchangeable lenses. I ain't never heard interchangeable lenses before this day, bro. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. I went online to see how much it costs to get one of these from like the PX or something. Mm-hmm. Bro, could not afford it. You know, the, the low-level enlisted money is not a lot of money. You got that star card. Mm-hmm. Oh, the little so I went around. <laughs> Maxed out. I went around. I went around looking to other soldiers. Like, hey, you guys got a camera that you're not using that I can borrow. Maybe we could do a payment plan. And long story less long, nobody was willing to work with me. Some one person had a camera. He wasn't willing to work with me. And now when I seen him, he just threw it after the conversation, like in yeah. the bag. I, like, I don't even know if I really want that camera anymore. <laughs> so I took a chance. I said, I'm going to go down to the PX. I'm going to apply for the star card. There and I'm going to hope for the best. Because <laughs> you know me, I'm I'm just, bro, I'm from I'm a kid from Brooklyn. I'm credit always been the enemy. Mm-hmm. That maybe I don't got good enough credit to get this card. Everybody gets a star Instantly card. Approved. Oh, yeah, here you go. Instantly approved, bro. And it turned out to be the exact amount I needed mm-hmm. to buy the camera. With a 50 mil SD card and a carrying case. Yep. First picture. It was, it was the exact amount. <laughs> so I did that and I was like, all right, Chris, you got to pay this money back. So we're going to start doing these photo shoots. But in the meantime, in between time, we need mm-hmm. to learn how to use this camera. So um, I'm reaching out to different soldiers. Oh, let me take your picture. Let me take your picture. I'm trying to do this, trying to learn it. And people were like, hey, do you do portraits? Do you do um, maternity? Yeah, at this point, I do everything because mm-hmm. I'm trying to pay off this camera. So I ended up paying off the camera and then some. And I'm still learning. At this point, I'm, even though I'm a little bit more knowledgeable in photography about it, I'm um, still naive because I'm thinking photos are only pictures of people. Yeah. Like photography is only pictures of people. I'm like, all right, so I'm doing that, doing that. And one day, randomly, I just go on Google and I type in black photographers. I, I didn't know any at the time. I didn't know any. Type in black photographers. Gordon Parks. Mind blown. Mind blown. Gordon Parks, Roy Day Corral, uh, Carrie Mae Weems, Daoud Bay. Uh, even W. Eugene Smith, although he's not black, but mm-hmm. his work hit me the same way the work from those others I previously mentioned did. Yeah. 
And I was just like, yeah, I can do that. Like, I don't know what it is they're doing, but I could do that. Like, what is this? Grab my camera, grab one of my battle buddies. We went downtown. We just walking around. And first, the first street photo, I, if I could find it, it'd probably be worth a lot of money when I kick the bucket, but mm. I don't know where it's at. It was a, uh, a paper, uh, a plastic, I mean, a plastic bag floating in the wind, downtown Watertown. And I just shot it. And I remember a lady was standing outside from a bar, I think outside of a bar. I think she was smoking a cigarette. She goes, um, I hope that's a really nice picture of some trash. (laughs) I hope so too. (laughs) I hope so too. And then from that point on, man, I just, I just kept the camera on me. Mm -hmm. Um, Found out what the regulations was to be able to keep it with me in uniform. You know, I just had to have a black bag and be in the black bag so I didn't clash with the uniform. Now, yada. Um, And I just had it everywhere. I started bringing it everywhere. I'm taking all types of photos of the soldiers. I end up being my unit armorer. So they cleaning weapons. I'm getting photos of the soldiers cleaning weapons. Um, We go into the field for training exercises. And um, I'm like talking to the captain. Hey, sure. They're not going to really think we're working if we don't have no photos. He's like, you know what, Faisy? You're right. Go take pictures of the landing zone and this and that. Like all this. (laughs) Bro, I'm not digging no foxholes. I'm not... I'm over here taking flicks, you know, and that was one of the first times um, I got published on the uh, like the Post newspaper. Mm-hmm. Um, I took some pictures of the land zone. They wanted that. They put it on the Facebook page. And then we went out to uh, a New York Jets game. They had something for like salute to service, whatever. So we had got free tickets. So we drove down there and then that picture got posted on the front of the the news, I took some pictures of some of the people jumping, coming into the field. And I was like, yo, this is kind of cool. Like, even, but still at that moment, I didn't know what I wanted to do with it yet. Yeah. Um, so I'm the big, and I'm like, I'm doing this, all these photos. I'm, I'm, I'm becoming known as the dude with the camera. You know, hey, book facey, 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 face, face. Everybody call me. Then it's time to get out. So you got to make that decision. You're going to take the school route or you're going to take the job route. You go through the whole out processing, blah, blah, blah. And I had to make a decision. I said, I think I'm going to go to school for photography. Mm-hmm. Um, it was either that or dental hygiene, bro. I know I don't want to dig in nobody's mouth every day. So at the end of the day, I decided to just do that. Um, I said, all right, I'm going to just do this. And my daughters will see that I took a chance on myself. And I got to make this work. I can't tell them to be all they could be if I don't even try. Right? So yeah. that's what I did. I a lot of people didn't understand like why would you go to photography school like, you don't need a degree for that and but I wasn't thinking about it as I'm going there to learn how to use a camera um, one thing that stood out to me was working professionals so these are people that are teaching and getting to it with photography like they are making money or, or so I thought um, but I, I, I would get information directly from them because they have to, they're the professors, they have to give me the information, right? Yeah. I apply, they had to send in a little portfolio, I don't even remember what I sent in, I think it might have not, some BS probably. Got accepted, I'm in there, cool. Before I make the final decision, I go to meet with the chairman of the photo department at the time, and I said, I just want you to keep it real with me. What happens to somebody that graduates from this school? What can I expect? He closed the door, sat me down. He said, I'm going to be completely honest with you. 
you only get out of it what you put in here. Now, this is something you hear from your time in the military all the time. Yep. You get a shitty duty state, and it just is what it is. But he closed the door, and he's telling me this, and I'm like, this ain't nothing I haven't heard before. He's like, we have some students that come in here, and they're extremely talented, but they're also extremely lazy. Um, they don't make it anywhere. We got uh, students that need a little bit more work, but their work ethic is amazing. And we always recommend them for stuff. You know, he said, so mm-hmm. if you do the work and you care about what you're doing, you're going to be fine. Like that, real conversation. All right, I'll be here on the first day of X, Y, and Z. And I just started learning, picking up different tools, learning about other photographers, seeing how this work, this work, that work, looking at different styles. Um, and still yet, I don't think I was looking at it as street photography. I just mm-hmm. been. I don't really even like to box it into that. You know, um, I was just a photographer. Yeah. So I would just photograph my way back and forth to school, to class, my home, my kids, my, my family, you know, my family, all of this stuff, just making work. And a lot of it wasn't really well received at the school. Um, I was even told, like, yo, I don't have to be the savior of, like, the black people, I guess. I was also told, uh, you know, stop photographing your family. Like, that's too easy. And all of these things. I took, we was taking black and white film uh, class, which I think was where the start of my love for black and white. But really, once I got to see the hands-on experience, I was like, yeah, it's on. I think I like this that much. And I just kept going, kept going, kept going, kept going. And then one, I just stuck to my guns, kept photographing what I kept photographing what I wanted to photograph. And one day it popped. Somebody said, oh, I love this. Keep photographing your family. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, you're touching on these issues in the black community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The ones that told you not to do it. You you, you understand? And it's like, yeah, that was the first step for me to believe in. Like, I'm I'm doing, I'm doing something right here. I don't, I still yet don't know what it is, but I'm mm. doing something. So I'm learning all these things from different people. And it just spread out to me, just photographing everything. So that's why I didn't really want to say street photography or when I got into street photography, it's photography as a whole for me. Yeah. You know, much like with, um, with Gary Winogrand said, you know, he's like, if I go to the zoo with my zoo photographer, like my animal photographer, if I make photos at the zoo, and I'm, I'm kind of thinking that mindset, like, my job is to make a photo anywhere, any situation, mm-hmm. under any condition. It just is what it is. If I photograph homes and I like what I'm doing at home, I guess home photographer, real estate photographer, like, no, nah, I could do that, but yeah, I could kind of do a lot of things. Well-rounded. So I, I could say submitting your photos to get critiqued is probably the hardest and bravest thing anyone can do because you don't know what you're going to get, you know, what, what feedback you're going to get. And that can make or break your attitude towards photography. What I will say is don't let it unmotivate you, you know, like, especially if you hire somebody, if you're going to school, like these people are here to help you. Now, now granted, there's going to be times where like you're a perfect example where they're going to give you the wrong kind of feedback you know stop taking pictures of your family stop taking pictures of this what i learned is keep making the photos you like to do just make it better right so That's it. keep make you know you kept taking pictures of your family you found out how to take pictures of it to make it look better now look they're praising you right 
So mm-hmm. anybody out there that's like, oh man, I don't want to do it because they're going to rip me a new asshole. Yeah, you know, it might hurt, but you, sometimes you need to you need to hear it. So that's what I've, I've grown a new respect um, for critiques while I was at that school. Because when I came in, I, I already came in growing. I came in, uh, I was already late 20s already, like mm. grown, got kids, bills, call, that type of stuff. So it was already a different experience just meshing with the other students. But seeing that first, the first semester we had critique, I think we had critique every semester. So that first semester, first couple of semesters, man, I was not feeling critiques. Like, <laughs> Why am I doing? Who's gonna tell me? How they gonna tell me? What you know what I mean? Like this ain't. I know this is fire, and then you know. Then I started learning. Like nah, like Chris, you gotta listen. You gotta, yeah. You gotta listen to what they're saying. They might not be saying it in the best way. It might not be something you want to hear, but you have to listen. Yeah. So I'm listening to them, and I'm taking from things what I think is important. I'm listening, and you know, sometimes you'll have students that everybody's so nervous about. Um how some what somebody's gonna say about their work or what should they say about somebody's work that they show based on somebody's feelings. So in the beginning you weren't really getting good critiques, you know? So they were pushing, don't say you just like it. Don't say you don't like it. You have to explain why. And a lot of people couldn't explain why. And it wasn't until I was able to explain why I like a photo or don't like a photo is when I began to know how to break down a photo for me to see what it is that I like about it. So now I'm starting to ask, I'm learning to ask different questions. So I noticed that this is what's going on, but this is the reason for critique. Mm-hmm. So the, the sooner I learned that, the easier it became a pill to swallow. Like, all right, nobody's saying that because they want me to fail. You know, they're saying something to make it better and this and I take from it, you know, and you can ask questions back. And so I definitely am somebody today that appreciates uh, a good critique. You don't have to, destroy somebody to mm-hmm. critique them but I'm a fan of a little good critique that lets me know how to move forward yeah that that's that's cool uh you probably heard me go off on the last critique I got from the photo school I'm trying to to get I, I wasn't upset about it I was just more bothered by you know the first critique he gave me I was perfectly fine with it made sense I tried doing what he told me to do in the first one and my second assignment. And he was telling me to shoot like I did the first assignment. And I was like, that just, yeah. Confused, Bob. I, I was. And yeah. it is what it is. It's, it's subjective. But. It, it can happen. Because you got to remember at the end of the day, the people that's doing the critique, um, they are human too. Mm-hmm. And they have, they have their own likes and dislikes about photos. They got they kind of lean one way or so about some other type of genre. Um, they might not be well versed in a certain genre, you know. Like so, you got to take that into consideration and see from what point of view they're looking at. So, if this is a portrait photographer, quote unquote, trying to say this street photo isn't working, yeah. But if they can't put down why it's not working or whatever, like the go the the. For me, a good critique is if you can't figure out the feeling or whatever the case may be, or you don't know how to really look for what it is I'm trying to do in the photo, at the very minimum, critique the technical skills. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because, and, and people say, oh, well, you, if you're a photographer and you see yourself a professional, you should already know. That's not always true because some people get real egotistical and forget certain things. Like, you know, people, they make, you start hearing excuses for things being out of focus. Like, <laughs> like oh, I meant to do that. 
No. Remind people that it starts from a technical space and then goes into a creative space because you got to know how to do what it is you're trying to do. Yeah. So at the very level, lowest level, critique that. Sometimes they just wouldn't know. I don't know what I'm looking at here. Like, I heard these things sometimes in critique. Maybe not particularly about my work all the time, also some other students' work, but yeah, I don't know what I'm looking at. Can you explain to me what you're going for? And and it's art school, yeah. you know? So you're going to see a lot of photos of people in the nude talking about how vulnerable they were. You're going to see... <laughs> you're going to see a lot of photos of, like, garbage bags, you know what I mean? Yeah. Street photography, which is just photography done in the street. Like, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see that. Nobody's going to really have these motions. And then the people that you see evolve is because they well received the critiques and move forward. So take from it what you will. If it doesn't apply, let it fly, bro. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and just throw this out there for all the listeners. Take your technical skills and just throw them away. And when I'm, you got to listen to how I'm going to explain this. So I've been recently studying a lot of the Japanese Provoke era style photos. And if you look mm-hmm. at their photos, they are 100% nothing that they will teach you to do in school. Mostly all the photos, mm-hmm. photos were out of focus, over, well, not really overexposed. They were really underexposed, hard contrast, blurry. And the thing about the Japanese is they're so creative Especially with their photography, I I don't care what anybody says. I would say now it's probably becoming my favorite era to to study, and it's mm-hmm. it's not about technical skills. It's all about the subject, and uh, just by quick studying into it, you know, um, reading reading and reading. I've been buying a lot of books in, of the Provoke era, and it's it's more of about presenting the time to the viewer right it didn't have to be perfect the per- the whole concept of perfect photography was a western idea you know americans europeans they everything has to be perfect mm-hmm. and, and you know they take those the japanese now they, they take those skills and they're just they're providing you moments they're sharing these moments and i think if you really look into the Japanese provoke era, like you, you, you can learn a lot. So, uh, expression, performance, moments, you know, like oh shit, I mm-hmm. was I was really there. Now, and that time that was you know post war. So, you know, a lot of those events typically are not around now. But doesn't mean you can't create that that similar. You know, mm-hmm. that style is still there if you were to do it. I'm not gonna lie. Like I see a lot of Japanese photographers and the work they do. It's amazing. It looks completely different mm-hmm. from American photographers, mm-hmm. European photographers. It's all different. So uh, don't be scared to push your boundaries on your technical skills. And I've I <laughs> just going back to you know after I was starting to read this, I was like, man, I've thrown away so many good photos I had because it was out of focus. Why? School told me all my fo- my photos, if they're out of focus, it's not a good photo. But here I am. I'm looking at all these, you know, highly praised photos from Daido Moriyama, from uh, Ar- Araki, and out of focus. Dark. Mm-hmm. The, only, the only thing lining up a subject is the little on-camera flash. But you could see something, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. 
So uh, that's my advice to you and the world listening. Don't get caught up in the technical aspects. If you know it, that's good. But, you know, perfect your style by yourself. Yeah, I, I, I think for that, at least for me, I think it's important to to know how the technical things work so that you know what to do when they... Because there's a lot of people that will make work and like you said, it'd be out of focus, but whatever it is they like, it still get the point across. That's that's fine, but I want I, I would prefer photographers to get to the point where you're doing that purposely. Like you're, that's a conscious decision that you made to make it that way. Not really per se accidental, because I feel we have to have some type of level of of some type of bar when it comes to what we do, because. That's why we don't have no respect in this field because people think it's just so easy to do. Somebody can go out and accidentally make a great photo, you know? So yeah, yeah. You, you should know your tool. You should know the technical stuff and you should bend it in your way to be creative. Um, that's how I look at it. Mm-hmm. So. No, no, that's, that's good. So going back to your, your time in school, what would you say was your biggest takeaway? What did you learn that was most uh, memorable to you? Um, the studio portrait classes that I got to take, I think those were, shout out to Lynn Delicio. He was a, a Delicio. I said Delicio. Delicio. Mm-hmm. Um, he is, he was, he had a really big hand and helped me understand portraiture, not just like how to do it. Yeah. He helped me understand portraiture. So I'm definitely grateful to him for that. Um, and I also worked uh, with, it was mostly the, any, any class that I took that was studio portraiture based mm-hmm. gave me a better understanding of um, how to work with people. Yeah. Um, I don't really like people, you know, without this camera, I'm not talking to anybody. With this <laughs> camera, we can have a conversation all day. Without this camera, I'm a New Yorker through and through. Walk right by you, mind my business, you mind yours. Don't say nothing to me. In those portrait sessions, I learned that you there is none of that, you know. So you have to talk to people. Then you fin- you realize that people have if you take a genuine interest in whatever it is that they're talking about or something that they do, you build this rapport and you get through this layer of like solid defense that they put up. And once you get through that, the photos become the easiest thing to make. Yeah, the easiest thing to make, and I I appreciate it. Um, those classes for that definitely definitely. so i finally got it and i remember what i was gonna ask you earlier so the question was shoot more think less or shoot less think more which side are you on i think it depends on the day for me (laughs) (laughs) Because uh, sometimes I go out in the mood where it's just, hey man, just photograph what, um, what just triggers any emotion out of you, and worry about the other stuff later. Look at it later. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one way. The other way is it's like, all right, I'm gonna take my time. Like when I'm shooting with the fifty or something, where I got to be a little bit more precise in the in the viewfinder, or whatever, uh, just a tad bit more precise. Um, I'm thinking way more. 
than what's going on. And I think if the situation calls for you, you have the time to think like that and do it. You don't always have the time. So I think that's why I'm more reactionary. But yeah, it just depends on the day, man. Either or. I would prefer that people shoot myself, shoot more, think about it later. Okay. I'm I'm actually opposite and I'm trying to shoot less and think more. And what I mean by that is obviously there's going to be times, like you said, where you just got to take the photo. You see it. You don't have time to think about it. Just take it. But I really want to get to the point where I'm not taking meaningless photos. Now, for me, all my photos mean something to me. But what I mean by that is just something that, you know, I, I took and I'm like, why did I take this? Right. I'm, I'm trying to get to a point where I'm making photos and I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember why I took this photo. You know, mm-hmm. if I can remember why I took it and I took it, that's where I'm trying to be, you know, instead of like, I was like, like oh, man, I was, why did I take this photo? I don't know. So that's, I'm trying to evolve constant evolution. Well, well, Ricky, in those moments, I think people forget that you also have to practice as a photographer. You have to go out mm-hmm. and practice. Yeah. So sometimes people don't know what type of photographer they are, or what they're drawn to, because they're thinking too much. You're thinking too much. For, for me personally, I know some photographers that just think way too much. And it's like, bro, all this time thinking and whatever you were trying to do is gone. Yeah. Get get the shots, practice, go out and practice. Nobody else has to see the photo if you don't post it. You understand? Or you don't print it. Like it's for you to review your work. So I would go shoot and I look at it like, what was I drawn to about this? Was it the light? Was it the colors? Was it this? And the more you review the work of those times that you're just going out and shooting off the emotion, you start realizing who you are as a photographer and you start applying those. That starts becoming second nature to you when you're out. Yeah. So you're like, oh, that light here is good and this and that. All I need is a perfect scene for this. So when the scene happened, boom, and you already know what it was that drew you there. Oh, it was the way the light was. Mm-hmm. I just need a proper gesture or something in this building. Now you have the right to think yeah, yeah, about yeah. how you want to do it. But you don't get, I don't think you get there personally by not going out. That's how it's a balance of the two without going out and just reacting to what it's just moving. You people don't want want to practice. There's people that put the camera down for weeks, and then they go outside and they're like, "Oh man, I'm a little rusty." Yeah, because you wasn't practicing. It's exactly. like anything else. Uh, I keep my my camera. So similar to you, I, I somehow became the the squadron's uh, official unofficial photographer, and I don't care about the whole in uniform. It's always out, and people are like, "Oh, that's a nice camera you got." How much did that one cost? Mm-hmm. I tell them, and they're like, "Oh shit!" But that, we're not talking about price of cameras here. But uh, I always keep my camera. I'm always shooting today. Um, okay, so here's an update. Everyone who's listening knows I have this little Crown Royal bag, and I pretty much take it whenever it gets to a certain point. It's almost full now. I've been shooting every mm-hmm. single roll of film. I'm trying to get out of my film so I can buy new, you know, a fresh stock because I'm pretty sure it's all expired and. I want new. I'm just. I just want to shoot dedicated black and white film. So, but the bag's almost okay. full. Uh, I don't know what's in there. I, I'm just shooting. Uh, I'm doing a lot of impulse shots. I'm trying to, you know, like I was speaking earlier about the Japanese provoke. I'm trying to recreate that kind of era, right? So uh, I'm kind of excited to see that. Now, most of my film is actually 120 film. So that is shooting. A lot different than 35, so I have to be a little more composed because the camera's bigger, it's larger, I got to focus. And um, the cool thing about the 120 is I have a Fujifilm 6x9, 
So I treat it just okay. like it's a Leica. I can zone focus and I'll just walk around. Um, but yeah, that's a fun guy. You only get eight shots per per roll of film, but not important. That camera does look fun. That camera does look fun. It, it really is. And I can tell you now, like the images that thing can create is like, is, did Leica make this camera for Fujifilm? <laughs> It's it's that good. Uh, I have the first generation. Uh, for me, like it didn't matter about the first, second, or third. The camera is the camera, and mm. I like old characteristics of vintage. So I was I was happy with that. Anyway, uh, let's get back into you. Uh, you did mention you shot film when you were in school. Do you still shoot film? Today, at this point, I think I'm like a. I'm a film digital hybrid. I, I, I'm a digital shooter. I guess if that's a word that could do something. It's a new uh, word. I like it. I'll, I'll shoot. I'll shoot film when it calls for it. Um, this, this film company actually just sent me two rolls of film to test out before they put it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, some 35 mil black and white. So I've been running around trying to shoot that. But I also keep um, digital on me as well. Uh, it just. It just depends, you know. Okay. My my main thing is to get is, is to get the shot, and like that's all. As long as I got something that can get the photo, I'm I don't care if it's film or digital. I prefer digital for for all the the reasons that it exists. Like mm-hmm. um, quick, it's digital, it's quick. It's just an SD card flip over. I can send to my phone via Bluetooth or something. You know, like mm-hmm. something like that. Quick. Sometimes I make a lot of street portraits of people out on the street and. I send it to my phone, so I can send it to them immediately. Just waiting on them to email me for the photo, it's not happening. Yeah. So I try to send it to my phone, or or I use um one of the portable printers, and I'll print something. I photo out for them out on the street, give them mm-hmm. some from Instax or something, and um it's good to be able to have that access. See, with film, I'm gonna take a while to develop it. I got a pile of film sitting in it. I still gotta get developed. I shot two rows of um triax um, in my Mamiya CP30 the other day. It's like it's just gonna sit there, bro. <laughs> you know, and it's, yeah, it's just it's just gonna sit there. So it's like, all right, because I got the digital so much easier, so much access, and I have worked um, in a way where I apply the same film discipline to mm-hmm. digital. So it's not, I don't think it's an issue of what's better for me. It's as long as my level of discipline hasn't changed with it, I think I'm good. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. I, I'm trying to shoot more film. I'm trying to get to a point where my look is consistent, right? So a lot of my film that I'm shooting now is all experimental. So, uh, and and that's why it's all in the bag because I don't, I don't, you know, whenever I get the time to drop it off, that's that's when it's going. Fine, that's the fun, that's the fun stuff right there, you know, because then you'll get back, you'll come back and look at it later, and it's that feeling of oh man, I'm gonna, oh man. So it's almost the complete opposite of why. I would shoot film like it's you don't you don't want the immediacy you want to forget about it for a second and then come back and relive whatever memory it was yeah. of what you were trying to do in that situation which is that's it's all it's all pretty cool either way yeah most definitely so after you finish school are you still taking school are you in school still finished? no I, I graduated uh last year 2021 oh nice congratulations on that thank you you got school loans not from this school. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> from from the first college I went to, I got that. Um, when I joined the uh, army, the recruiter had mentioned that, yeah, don't worry about your student loans; they'll be covered, and they were never covered. They weren't. I found that at at basic training that uh, 
They got you. If it wasn't if it wasn't in your contract, private, then it ain't. <laughs> oh man. Uh-huh. I had to hear that. So that I have to pay, and I chose a very interesting career choice to attempt to pay it off, didn't I? Yeah. Don't worry. I'm I'm right there along with you. I'm still paying mine. So now nah, I'm not even gonna get into that. It has nothing to do with the podcast, but uh fuck you, school loans. That's all I'm gonna say. Um but now that you graduated from photo school, how do you force yourself to take better photos? Oh man, I'm always I'm always studying. Um, I have so many photo books. Not like I don't have the, the main stage. Like I don't have the decisive moment. That's an expensive book right there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I read. I listen to a lot of uh, interviews, podcasts. Um, I discuss a lot of things with my with my friends, uh, other photographers. Um, and we just look at what's important. We always got to keep reminding each other like about what's important, what's the end goal of the photo. So when I get to pick the philosophy, when I listen to other people's philosophy about how they make work and I connect it to how it's similar to how I make work, I just stay consistent with that mm-hmm. and make sure that the amateur mistakes that I was making when I first started are no longer the ones that simple things that could be avoided. Like why is there an extra elbow in the edge of the frame or, Mm-hmm. There's, you know, something like that. If it could have been avoided, why did not avoid it? And I think uh, that's what I build on. Just stay consistent with and, and disciplined with the way that you make photos once you get to a point that you're happy with. I think you're just going to continue to just make better photos because you're paying attention to the things that, that matter. Mm-hmm. So what's your end goal for f- your photos now? Oh, uh, museums. I want to be in museums, books. Um, so that whenever I become worm food, my daughters can have it and they can see that, that dad did something, mm-hmm. you know, like he left something here. Um, this is what he was doing all of that time. Like, you know, um, this is what he was trying to show us that he can, you can be an academic or you can be a creative and you can win in, in any realm you choose to go into. Um, so I want them to see that. And then, you know, I just want them to see that I left something behind, you know, yeah. so they can hold on to it. And maybe that'll spark something in them. I don't want them to have to follow in my footsteps or nothing. I want them to do it better than I ever could have. Yeah. Uh, but I just want to show them that it's possible. Once I show you that it's possible, do with that information what you want. Because nobody gave me a camera at 12, 13 years old mm-hmm. and told me what I could do with this. Nobody sat me down and, and broke Golden Parks down the way they could it to me. Nobody did that. You know, so I'm trying to give them a head start, a heads up, so that they could, if they choose to, they got the information. But if they don't, that's okay, too. Like, you could go into whatever field you want to, but just know, above all, that I want you to be confident and believe in yourself that you can make it happen, because I did it. Yeah, most definitely. I wish, my daughter, she likes photography, and every time I have a camera, she she plays with it, and she's, she's pretty good. She has a little bit of, OCD where she has to set it she she arranges things she might be a really good f- product photographer because she, she has to line everything up but uh, or creative so, director yeah or that too <laughs> she's just creative all the way around uh, but we got a little bit of your the, you know the slow pace in North Carolina and then the fast pace in in the, the city New York whatever. Uh, I would like for you to take us down what it's like when you're in both environments. So what's your process 
for shooting in the streets. Uh, you know, if, if you've listened to this podcast before, and, and now I just use the term street photography as anything that's not in the studio. So take us down your process for street photography in a fast city and kind of a slow-paced environment. What are your process for both? Mm-hmm. Well, in, in New York, because it's a little bit more condensed, a lot more people, um, sometimes I use a different lens or, mm-hmm. or something. Uh, but it's mostly uh, reactionary to things that I see. I'm always, I always keep, um, no matter where I'm at, I have a bunch of projects in mind. So I try to shoot for those, pro- those projects. So I always have something to focus on. So if there's a scene that's unraveling in front of me in New York and I want to react quickly and I want to be more candid for the project, then that's how it would be. Because, um, again, there's so many people. I might see somebody today. I might not see them tomorrow. You know, out here, I can kind of almost guarantee that I'll see them tomorrow. Yeah. You know, um, slow pace is people that they take their route to work or wherever they go for lunch or they stationary in this store, that store, or unfortunately, they might be unhoused. Um, and, you know, so they'll see me while they're at the parks or wherever they stay. And, that becomes a, a different type of um, rapport or relationship built out here. So they start seeing me more and more. Um, so I can definitely take my time, you know, and spend more time with them versus a fleeting moment per se mm-hmm. in New York. I got you. Okay. So uh, I guess they both have their benefits. So I'm not even going to ask that. I was going to say which one you prefer more. I like fast cities cause fast pace, you know, the people are always constantly moving they produce different um, images, but obviously the slow pace also produces a different view of images and mm-hmm. their own look. So um, they're both beautiful in their own way. So I'm not going to ask that question. The answer is mm-hmm. itself. Uh, but what challenges have you faced in the streets? Uh, that's a good question. What challenges? There's been quite a few, man. Um, Sometimes some of the challenges is being out there with, um, especially in New York City, being in an area with so many other photographers at one time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, um, I feel like there's not really a lot of exclusivity to to the said scene or to said photo that like everybody else can get to. Albeit it'll be different, it'll look different, different angles or whatever the case may be. Um, you just get bored with seeing like, six different photographers with the same photo of somebody doing a backflip in the fountain at Washington Square Park. You know, like, you all, you guys all got it just from a different angle. I get it. I got it. Good. Um, so, that's, that's difficult, trying to find original photos in those moments. That's been difficult. But when you get it, oh, man, it's so amazing. But that's been difficult. Um, and that's for, like, the New York area. For out here, something that's been difficult is that it's so slow paced that sometimes there's nobody outside. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so how do you make photos where there are not many factors to work with that you're used to, like in New York? Like, so what are you, you doing that? So right now that is what I'm finding difficult. Yeah. So you said it earlier, practice, right? And, you know, it's, this is going back to the part where I was telling you each location is different is, you got a million people in New York. You got zero people where you're at now. Document that. Show the differences. Like, this is what it's like to be there. Mm-hmm. 
Here's a million people in one frame, and this is what it's like to be here. Here's a picture of a a coon, a road coon, you know, the Brother, orange that's ones. How my, that's how my mind works. Yeah. That's I, how my mind works. I have um, a small series of photos I got in a photo called um, Up North Down South mm-hmm. is the name of the photo. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's just different moments that are like similar moments in both New York and down here in North Carolina, mm-hmm. but it's not the same. Like here I am at a protest here, and then this is what a protest looks like here. This is what this looks like somebody's doing the work looks like here. This is what it looks like, you know? So mm-hmm. I got that. That's, that's a slow simmer of a series. I don't want to say project because everything's not always a project. Sometimes it's simply just a series. Um, so I have that um, to try to compare the two. But sometimes, not even sometimes, most of the time while being here, I'm just way more focused on being present here. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to compare it to New York in any type of way. Um, I don't want to try to make the work here like I was making in New York similar. You know, I want to give uh, North Carolina or any new place I visit, rather, their own true, honest assessment of how I see it. Yeah. You know, and that helps. That helped because I learned more about where I'm at by doing it that way. Mm-hmm. So I can give it the respect it deserves. It's not just about always making great photos. You got to remember, this is um, a deposit for the future, for future creators, for future historians. This is a deposit. So what is it of now that's going to be important in the future? So when that withdrawal comes, that withdrawal means a big withdrawal. So I try to be honest to where I'm at. Definitely. So I like that idea. And uh, I was out walking around taking pictures of buildings and just documenting what what's the difference. You know, like, because I go to Tokyo in the mainland quite often. And, you know, now I'm just... You know, like like you were saying earlier, this is what it's like there, and this is what it's like here. It's same idea, but different image. So uh, that's what I was doing mm-hmm. today, walking around. Uh, how do you find your next scene? You're walking. I just walk. Bro. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, so, but you're just walking. Uh, what is it that catches your attention? What are you particularly particularly looking for? Um, I'm first and foremost, I'm always looking for the light. That's something you can depend on without having to have people in, you know, yeah. good light. So, you know, if it's contrast, if it's hard light, soft light, what, what you got going on? What, what can you do with at least light? Photography at its core, light painting at its core. Um, so I'm always looking for light. I'm always doing light studies when there's nothing really out. Um, but then when, if as I'm walking around following the light, I'll come across a person and then now I'm more energy based in that. Like how inviting is their energy? If, if, if there's something about them that I can't just not look at them or talk to them about, I got to make that photo. Like if I feel that energy, I'm going to come over to, Hey, you mind if I such and such, if it's not a situation, if I think the better photo is more candid, mm-hmm. I'll just do that. I have a problem doing that. I'm not nervous. I'm a big dude. Not too many people are going to want to like react in a physical way. But I always know my why. So if they want to talk, I could just disarm them with the words because I already know what I'm doing. But if their energy is something important, if like they got something to offer, then, hey, how you doing? My name is Chris. I'm a local photographer. You know, I, I just really love like you got right now. You're standing real stoic, this and that. You mind if I get this photo of you? And they all, yeah, where, where is it going? What you going to do with it? Probably Instagram, but the real goal is to get it on the museum wall one day. Mm-hmm. 
There you go. And they, they pose up. They'll let me, you know what I mean? But this is important that I'm about to say right here is because it's usually uh, black and brown people that when I approach them to make photos, I get this different level of like excitement from them. Mm-hmm. And this, this like, even if they don't want to do it, but they still do it. I think it comes back to the idea that we all just want to be seen, yeah. you know, and they want to be seen. So they don't mind somebody taking that couple of seconds, maybe a few minutes, depending on the interaction to frame them up to take a photo, to do your best to make them look as good as you can make them in that moment. There's something to say about that. So I enjoy, I enjoy the feeling of that because now we have this shared energy we just transferred back to each other. Like, thank you. No, thank you. You know, I learned something about you and myself in this moment. And they did the same thing. Mm. And it's always, it's, it's, it's always an interesting moment when I do those, when I, when I focus on those. Do you ever uh, take a candid photo and then someone approach you negatively? Like, hey, what the fuck did you take my photo for? Not that aggressively. Mostly in New York. That hasn't happened to me out here yet. Mm. Um, I know it's coming. But um, in New York, somebody like, you just take my picture. You don't be just taking my fucking picture. You better ask me next time. And, you know, you can get defensive and be like, bro, if you don't want your picture taken, don't come outside. Yep. It's really that simple, bro. The satellite already caught you coming out the crib. You worried about me. Yeah. <laughs> you worried about me. You on Google Photos, yep. Google Google Maps right now. You worried about me. Yeah. Um, but I'll just ignore them if they're not trying to get any altercation. But mm-hmm. if they use, you know, you just take my picture. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, I did. Now they answer determine how we moving forward. They can be as aggressive as they want to. Yeah. You can be as aggressive as you want. As I'm walking down the street, you can say whatever you want. I don't really care. Yeah. Uh, but if they say, like, why? What, what, what's for? What you doing with that? You fed? You, you know, you, you hear a lot of things in the hood. And I'm like, bro, no. This is what I'm doing, and I'm glad you asked. Let me show you. Mm-hmm. And that also, I use every opportunity to get a better photo every time. So if that's what it is, and I show them they like it, I'm like, yo, if you don't like this one, we could take another one. Mm-hmm. There you go. You know? And they be like, yeah, yeah, let me put my hat like this, and let me do now we now we getting somewhere. Yeah. See, I already disarmed that whole situation. I don't even got to work. We're not about to. We're not about to tussle. We're not about to. We good. We don't have to. Because if nine times out of ten, if you barking at me after I just took a candid photo, it's probably not a good photo anyway. <laughs> I didn't even look at it yet. You know, it's probably not even popping. It was just something about it. I took it for him and kept it moving. Mm. And just the way your energy went, because if I if it's a scene that was unbothered after I made the photo then I know it's going to be all right. I didn't break nothing. I didn't mess up the scene. What I saw is what I saw, and it's going to be there. I'm going to examine it later. But if I broke the scene, it already changed the mood that I was looking for, so I already know it's not going to be what I saw. So keep going, bro. Let them talk to you, whatever you're saying, as I'm walking down the street. I don't really really got no fear of anybody, especially not down here when you can legally carry a firearm. So... You can carry a firearm anywhere. Is it legal? Maybe, maybe not. That's but, why I said legal <laughs> firearm. Yeah. I, I know where I'm at. Yeah, I'm from Chicago. It didn't matter legal or not. They had them. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've had plenty in my face, uh, but we're not talking about huh. that anymore. Huh. Uh, that's another podcast. Yeah, that's another day for a different kind of podcast. But, all right, we got you uh, disarming people, making better photos. And now I would like for you to tell us how we can see your photos. So please 
plug your socials, anything that you own, socials, Twitters, websites, Instagrams, anything you own that you want the world to know about? Uh, you can always go to my website, CocoaButterShutter.com. Uh, my Instagram is at CocoaButterShutter, C-O-C-O, period, B-U-T-T-E-R, period, S-H-U-T-T-E-R. Um, I'm on Twitter as well, um, at CocoaButterShutter, spelled C-O-C-O-B-U-T-T-R-S-H-U-T-T-R. I didn't have enough for all characters. No worries. And Or you can go to LinkedIn and type in Chris Spacey, because I'm trying to get this LinkedIn moving. I need some more, some more uh, commercial gigs. So. Yeah. Hire, him. <laughs> hire him. So you how, did it, man. You how, did it. How did you get the name? I'm curious. Oh man, uh, I've gone through a lot of photo names. My first photo Instagram for that same Instagram was one shot from the Canon because mm. I really like that uh, Canon freestyle by Lil Wayne. <laughs> so I have put this one shot from the Canon, and plus my first camera that I made with that I paid for with the Star Card was. A Canon Rebel T three something or what? It had to be. Was it the three? Yeah, it wasn't the eye. It wasn't on the flip out screen. Yeah. It, yeah, I ain't had that much. Um, and I had that name, and then it went from that to Face Ventura to all these different things. And then one day I was just like, Yo, I just want to do something a little bit different. What do I like? Yeah, I'm cocoa. I'm cocoa colored. I'm good. I like. There we go. I'm just going to put Coco on the shutter. I said it rhymes. We'll see what happens. And a lot of people laugh. They laughed at first. Coco about a shutter. That's crazy. I, I don't hear that's crazy anymore. All I hear is, yo, I love that name. That's an amazing name. This is great. Oh, I'm not going to forget that. Like, so now, before you even see the work, the name has already left a lasting impression on you. So I'm, I, I can get you to come back. Yeah. So when, when Jim told me that I was, I was thinking Coco Butter because, you know, I put it on all the time. How did he get it on the shutter? It's just me and my stupid name thinking. But, uh, I, I look at it. I look at it like I look at that's funny. I look at it like um a lot of my my main body of work um because I used like I said I used to I write poems I used to rap and stuff like that so I like to think metaphorically and you know my main body of work is always black. What's the best thing to put on black bodies to make sure they're well taken care of? Mm-hmm. Cocoa butter, mm-hmm. shea butter. One of the butters, All you know, the I feel like I, I make sure I, I look at the black community, the black experience, and I want to photograph that with the same care it takes to make sure you look good. I want you to look good, feel good. That's always the goal. Okay. I like it. So we got his name and his explanation out of the way. So if anybody else was wondering about Chris Facey, I'm sure you know who he is. Here it is. We got the explanation. <laughs> so... Uh, I selected a photo, and I believe it's a self-portrait, and I selected mm-hmm. this one because I like the lighting. Uh, tell us about this photo. Well, in the moment, I was just making a good self-portrait of myself on during my first artist residency. Mm-hmm. I never had a residency on my goal, goal list. Didn't think anything of it, but the universe had another plan for me. And I took it in and I appreciate, I wanted to make sure I was aware of the moment of what was happening. And the only way I know how to do that as a photographer, like most of us, is just to document the moment. So sat there and I shot that. That was one of the first self-portraits I made when I um, 
on my M10 when I first got it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was still relatively new, so I was still learning it. And boy, let me tell you, that thing is hard. <laughs> I tried to do a self portrait, then I had to use a self timer, run back, do this. It oh, was it was interesting, but I did it. Blow your oh. mind. Like this photo app. Yeah, I've seen it. I didn't really like it. I wanted to try to keep it as disciplined as the OGs did. Okay. So we gotta get the mirror shot. Focus. I don't have one. I I, I might have that with the OGs. I don't know if I have that with the Likers, but I might have one from the M6. But um, yeah, I did that, and then um, I didn't really think about that photo ever again after I made the post and stuff until you sent the question saying, you know, this is the photo we're gonna talk about. And I was like, yo, it's something about this photo. I didn't, I don't understand what it is. I'm, you know, hashtag 2020. I'm like, I, I just wanted to document the moment, not remembering that subconsciously I might have been channeling uh, Eugene Smith's photo of Thelonious Monk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? When he's sitting there with the, the cigarette or the slip hanging from his lip and he's chilling. I'm like, yo, did that, did I start thinking about that subconsciously? Because I am highly inspired by Eugene Smith and you know a lot of the ones I mentioned earlier and I was like yo that's crazy like the more things change the more things stay the same like yeah. uh, did he see did, I, did he see the same thing that I saw or vice versa and you know and I was glad you sent that photo because I haven't looked at that photo since I posted it so I was glad to see that I was happy I was glad to go back down a little memory lane about it I was like man that's interesting as hell but the lighting was great my first residency was like a good moment with good light, I was feeling good. Mm-hmm. Everything was going good. Yeah, let me just put that in the frame real quick. Yeah, I like it. Is the lighting? I like the the breaks and the features that were were even well, not evenly lit, but I like how you just see the earring. Yeah, exactly. Like got the earring just shining through. Like you know, diamond in the rough, right? Loved it. I, I enjoy it. And plus, I'm a big fan of smoke, bro. I don't know. I like photographing smoke. Yeah. <laughs> it looks so cool, man. Because it's, it's so movies. unpredictable. Something. Yeah. <laughs> Something. Yeah. It looks so cool. It's always, always an unpredictable shape, shape, and like it just always looks fire. Yeah, like vape smokers are are probably one of the most cliche photos. I'm not gonna lie. Whenever I see it, I kind of look. Cause like you said, like it's it's so unpredictable. But some people they're really good with how they blow the smoke. I particularly mm-hmm. like the ones that are really long and thin, and they just get wider until they get to the end. Mm-hmm. It's just like this real big. It looks like a pipe almost, a really long pipe. Those are uh, I'm particularly fond of. I don't take many pictures Those of them anymore, cool. but yeah, I do like. I used to be that guy. As soon as I saw a vapor, I was already waiting. Yeah, the vape smokers. I, I, I photograph so much smoke. I photograph so much smoke that like I know the difference. It's like I know I don't really prefer the vape smoke. Like it has to be like if cigarette smoke or smoke from redacted, uh, rolled up in <laughs> plants. Oh, it's and legal now. Like you that. can say it. I I was reading you someone. Know, oh. Someone called it the devil's lettuce, and I couldn't stop laughing. Yeah, like, devil's, devil's lettuce. Devil's, devil's lettuce. Yeah, well, it don't matter. Yeah. But if you can tell that I can tell the difference in certain smoke now, like so it's kind of interesting. Nice, nice. Cool. Well, that is a, a really good photo. I'm glad I could take you back down memory lane and you can see a little bit of Eugene Smith in your photo. So uh I for 
personally, I'm not familiar with that one particular photo you mentioned of his, but um, I am familiar with his work, and it is really good. Uh, father of photojournalism. Hmm? Yeah, yeah, it's from uh, it's from his uh, that, the law thought jazz law jazz law yeah. project. Yeah, oh man, that's some great work. I was trying to. I found the book on on Amazon, and I put it in my shopping cart. But instead of buying that one, I went with the Minamata one instead, uh, only because I I wanted to see the movie that Johnny Depp did as him. And that movie, see it? Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I watched it like yeah. four times, and um, I, just, it, it, I don't know how accurate it was, uh, you know, but it was a really good movie, and I like how they recreated how he captured the the photos because I got the book and I actually ordered the actual life print from eBay. I found it and I got it. So uh, I was curious to see, you know, how the world portrayed that moment in, in time. So it was really interesting. But yeah, yeah that um, was I didn't know how much of an influence that movie was going to have mm-hmm. um, on me after I seen it. I, I watched it a few months ago. Um, I didn't I didn't see it before, but like after watching that movie, when you look at, you know, I thought everything in hindsight is 2020. So after I seen that movie, I thought about the Golden Fox documentary and a few other documentaries and stuff that I know from photo- that I've watched from other photographers and you see how much of a sacrifice goes into yeah. simply just being a photographer. Like, forget the, the simple feeling of that I need to make work. Like, I need to go out and photograph these things. Like, because your heart is in this place. It's just like, mm-hmm. Eugene Smith was physically damaged making photos. Yeah, yeah. Physically damaged at the cost of of being an alcoholic of sorts, um, missing time with his family. Um, Gordon Parks, the same thing in his documentary, was like, hey, I'm over here doing this and this shoot. And his wife was like, yeah, well, I'm here with the kids doing this and this. You know, like, it's a sacrifice. And I fight when I moved here, and I miss my kids every day, bro. And I'm, I moved here because they're not here with me right now. I miss them, mm-hmm. you know? But it's like, there's no one size to go for family, especially for when you want to be great at what you're doing, especially in, in the creative field. But I want to let them know, like, I'm building something here. I'm making something here so that when you do get to come and visit and see, like, it's not like that. It's just roaming out the streets, going on vacation. I am building something here, something that the generation before me and my family didn't do. They didn't take the time to do. So I have to do it so that when you live in your life as an adult and you bring it in the next generation or whatever, you don't have to rebuild none of this. You have a good, solid foundation that I didn't have. Um, and you see that in a lot of the great photographers. Not trying to say I'm going to be all this magical, mythical creature, but I personally, I have this very unwavering confidence about myself, my skill, my ability that I'm on the right path. And that, yeah, you will learn about kids will have to study me in school and my work will be on gallery walls. And you will, like, yo, he, he was a major player and photographing the black experience, but most importantly, he showed us love, compassion. And if for the time that I'm missing with my kids, I want them to be able to fill in whatever that gap is with the work and get to know me on the level that some people would never know me. Mm-hmm. My youngest daughter, she knows I'm, I live and breathe this photography stuff. She's often amused in front of my camera, so she knows what this means. Yeah. You know, I just had my first solo exhibition. I was just there last night for the closing reception. And 
Congratulations on that, by the way. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to to interrupt you, but congratulations. That's a major feature. So good, 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 good. Good on you. Thank you. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, it still hasn't hit me yet. It hasn't really dawned on me that I'm having my first solo show. I was just so happy that I had a photo of my daughter on the wall. Mm -hmm. That was that was the only thing I could everybody, oh I love this one and that one and this one. I maybe it's biased, I don't care, but it's like I have my daughter on the wall like this. She's going to be immortalized forever. Some, mm-hmm. She's going to see this forever. You know, like this happens, sweetheart. Yeah. And I want them to learn about me through that. You know, yeah, learn about me while I'm still alive and breathe and ask me questions. I, I try to parent differently than I've been parenting or other people's been parenting, but it's still through the work. It's that sacrifice of not being there with my kids that kind of like strive me to keep going. Like there's a purpose to it. There's a means to an end for this. Mm-hmm. So that's how I that's how I move, but it's it's a it's definitely a big thing of sacrifice, and I see that from that in the modern movie, from the Gordon Parks documentary. Um, some of my other friends who I think are going to be so great if they're not great already, um, creatives like it, it's just a business of sacrifice. Yeah. So, well, uh, once again, congratulations on that. I was going to ask you if you've seen Dennis Stock's movie Life. That's another one you might really enjoy. Yeah. That was a really good one. Yeah, seen it. I enjoyed that too. I like um, how he, you know, he, he embedded himself into the family, which is always that's a big goal of mine to do. Um, so I, I thought that was pretty cool because you don't get those great timeless photos without mm-hmm. without that. Yeah, and just to think, like he knew what James Dean was going to be before the world knew. Like he he met him that one time, and he just knew, like this is this is the guy. And he got mm-hmm. all the last moments with him. And if it wasn't for him, like the world probably would not know. So you need that. You need that. Sometimes a certain thing will call you as a photographer and you you can't figure it out. But at that moment you don't have to figure it out. Just shoot it. Just just shoot it. Do like do the work. Yeah. And like this double dutch stuff, for example, I can only speak in personal experience. I was with, I was with um my good friend Wes. Um, at Well Connected on IG, and he was with me today. This whole idea formulated, like, and I was with my daughter. And we went to this Jump for Justice thing, and I was like, "Yo, something about this, I want to keep photographing. I don't know what it is." And you know, him being supportive, he's like, "Yo, do it, just shoot it, just shoot it." So that's what I was doing, and it led to a publication reaching out. So, "Yo, I saw those photos. Would you do you have anything else you're working?" I was like, "Yeah, I want to make this a bigger thing." So they reached out to some other teams and helped me get it published. You know, a couple of stuff published. And then I built a rapport with a few of the coaches and cause I still wanted to shoot it on cause it was published on me, the project done. Mm-hmm. I just kept shooting, kept shooting, kept shooting. And then I submitted it to the art guild and it was like, yeah, we love it. And I got the thing, the tech, the email, like, yeah, we've, we've been selected to put on a solo show and this date, this to this date. And but, but blew my mind, bro. Mm-hmm. Blew my mind because it started from a, I don't know feeling. It starts from like, I don't know. It's just something about it. And that's how a lot of my projects start. It's just something about it. And here's how I want to discuss it or bring awareness to or try to even change it if I could. Yeah, definitely. So, well, luckily you did shoot it and, you know, you felt it. You captured it. You got it. And here you are. It paid off. Yeah, I'm I'm grateful, man. I'm just grateful. And yeah, don't let the opportunities pass you. 
that's why, like you, I always keep my camera on me. Even if I don't shoot one frame, it's always there. Because you, you never know, like, what's going to happen. And, you know, so who knows? I, I'm still trying to get my own solo show, but that in due time, in due time. But you've mentioned projects quite a few times, and I know you said you're working on a bunch of different ones. Maybe, maybe I misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Uh, but are there any projects you would like to discuss? Uh, if there's some that are secret and you don't want the world to know about, it's okay. We completely understand nah, what it's like. Uh, but yeah, short term, long term. It's not secret. No, no secret. Um, I don't mind telling people whatever I'm working on because you're not going to shoot it how I'm shooting it, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> <laughs> so I have my dad duty project. I think I'm starting to push now. Um, which is, you know, a collection of photos that kind of combats the stereotypes of black absentee fathers. Mm-hmm. You know, every situation is not the same for black dads. Someone, you know, single household, some don't have full custody, some got weekends, some, you know, it's just, it just is what it is. But I want to show that they are active and these, those moments that are often overlooked to us as adults that we see with kids, how important it is for in that moment that those kids are learning life lessons. You know, I have a photo of a good friend of mine, Charles, back in Brooklyn with his son, Zion, who was actually the first dad that I photographed for this project. I have a photo of him buttoning his son's shirt for school. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a beautiful photo only because in that moment, you see that Zion is learning, like he's taking this in, like, dad is helping me get dressed. This is something, this is a skill that I'm going to have to have the rest of my life, mm-hmm. you know, like, and oftentimes your fathers get overlooked. We can call it what it is. You see, they start promoting Mother's Day munching events, <laughs> you know, Everybody and the gift the they're giving is outrageous. Yeah, and then dad comes, they, hey, don't forget this weekend is Father's Day. So, like, you know, yeah, that tie, that grill, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> that toolbox, oh, you just want me to build something, service to the you, like, <laughs> and some dads like that, but. I like diamonds. I like gold. Give me some jewelry too then. Like, mm-hmm. I take that as a, you know, so this is like my way of like giving an ode to black fathers that, you know, you're out with your kids, you're doing things. I'm with you in your home, with you out on like a family outing. And um, it's important for the world to see that because yes, we are making strides forward and, and appreciating black fathers more, but there's still, a thing with that, you know, what sparked that was an ad I seen in 2018 from Macy's and they had um, like these four photos for a holiday ad and each one was a different family dynamic. They had uh, an all-white family in, in a traditional nuclear family. Um, they had a black family, but it wasn't the whole family, it was just a single black mother with kids. Um, and then in the other ad, when you see, when you finally did see a black man, um, he was with a white man. Like, <laughs> it was just like, so you'll have a, a interracial gay family before you'll have your typical black nuclear family, which does exist. It's not as far-fetched as society would like them to think. And, and then um, they caught fire for that for obvious reasons. You know, and they've made, they so companies have made strides since to try to change that. But even in 2020, um, when I started seeing um, like posters for getting the vaccine and stuff like that in the hood, there was, they had a black dad in that poster though. Yeah. 
they didn't hesitate to have it like that in that poster. So it's like, do you pick and choose when you want to highlight black fathers? Do you, you know, you're being real selective with how you're putting them in the world. And I'm not the first photographer to cover this. I'm sure I probably won't be the last, but I will be one of the ones to help just like the other one, kind of push it forward to when that's just a regular thing. I have all, all, a lot of my close friends um, are all black fathers. Mm-hmm. Some new, some been in the game a long time. And when speaking with them, you know, there's a, you can see that there's, there's a lack of representation. Yeah, we're going to always do what we got to do for our kids. It only, it only matters on how we, how we look in the eyes of our children. But I also think it's important for us to be seen in a highlight, too, in, in society the way moms are. This is not a mom versus dad project. I don't want people to look at it that way. Moms are important and dads are just as important. There is no one is greater than the other. And I want us to get there to the meeting place because I think once we're able to have that at a meeting place, that'll start building better co-parenting relationships for, for black fathers in those situations where they're not still with the mom or, um, you know, they're not seen on good terms. Like, to show you, like... Dads do the same thing you do. So, when you, you know what I mean? You can't say that one is doing more than the other and he's not getting respect or the kid don't love this or whatever. It's just, you got to knock that out. I want y'all to just, right now, just look at black folks. So, that's one project. Another another project I'm working on is in um, a collaboration with the Lane Street Project out in Wilson, North Carolina. Uh, I just, I found out about them during my residency there in October. Mm-hmm. And it's about, rebuilding this African-American cemetery, two African-American cemeteries, one private, one public, but right separated only by a parking lot. Um, one was for the affluent black people left in desecration, vines and tombstones shattered and broken, people dumping appliances. And like we were, we were finding, it, it's been desecrated for generations, so much so that we found Clorox glass bottles. When was the last time Clorox came in a glass bottle? Yeah. You know, um, I don't I didn't even know they had glass bottles. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Right. And then right across the parking lot was, it's the public cemetery that the city didn't think was public. Um, and you know, in in the early nineties, I think he got, it was ceased from being able to bury bodies there because they said it was flooding. You know, you always have the black town on the low side of the city where it floods and stuff. And, they said they were going to remove the bodies and put them somewhere else on higher ground. They removed the tombstones, but never removed the bodies. They just laid grass down over it. There's thousands of black bodies that will forever be unnamed now laying in that ground um, at the mistake of the city. So they put they put a monument up there, a little poem or whatnot, which I think is really half-assed. Sorry. If anybody from Wilson is listening, I think it's real disrespectful what they did. But shout out to Lisa Henderson that lives there. She is putting the money forth in the initiative from the community as well to bring some type of respect to that land, at least mark where the graves are, mm-hmm. you know, even if we can't figure out the names. And um, they, like I was saying, they paved over that. It's a beautiful land, good thing looking, but there's bodies there. People go there and drag race cars in this land because they don't even know the history of what's there. Mm-hmm. And right across the tracks is a Confederate cemetery, which is since the whole time I was there was not a person on the grounds keeping it up. Yeah. You know, so is that some of the things I've unveiled being here in the South and speaking to people from the South, they say it's always been like that. You know, like that's just always been a thing. Like I'm no longer can I like sit. I'm not going to sit here. I can't be a resident of North Carolina now and like not do nothing, not 
work on this somehow, like how I've been working. And I just want to help them document their revival of this land, of both these cemeteries and what it means. And uh, it's hard to get to every now and then because, uh, you know, when the grass starts growing a little bit too high, there's a lot of snakes and this is the South. <laughs> so there's a lot of creatures in there that you can't really be around. So I work with them how, how I work with them. And I'm, I don't know when that's gonna, what that's going to look like in the end. I just want to make sure that it's a positive route that they're going. I never know what it looks like in the end. I just do the work. There you go. Do the work. Just do it. I like it. So those are two very promise, promising projects. Uh, can't wait to see when they're completed, and good luck on that. Hopefully, you get some more Thank exhibitions you. on these projects when they're done. And um, Listen, I hope so. just just put in the work, do the work. It it'll pay off in the in the end. So, That's true. I like the that. universe wants you to win, man. It's gonna meet you halfway. You just yeah. gotta do your part. That's true. Nothing's given. You gotta take it. So I, I got a couple more questions before we wrap it up. Um, I, I would like to know what you want your photography to accomplish. We we got it. You you want to be in the museum, but overall, mm-hmm. beside the museum, what do you want your photography to accomplish? Like what what meaning? What do you want it? What I'm trying to phrase it right. We'll just go with what you would like your photography or your photos to accomplish. Uh, I want them to be an accurate representation of one, the zeitgeist of of our time right now, as well as um, like it's always been for me um, and a representation of the black experience mm-hmm. for right now you know, what that's going to look like. We're, we're going to be history at some point. Um, and I want the future generations to know what was going on here, what took place, you know. Um, if you don't put the history in our hands, our own history in our hands, somebody else gets to tell that story. And when we've had other people tell that story, they came up whatever they wanted to, so much so that they thought it was justification for slavery mm-hmm. and the mistreatment of black and brown people. So now that we got control of our story, I want that to... I want us to be a great accurate source for the future generations to be able to come back and see like, nah, we've been great. We started great. We continue to be great. We're still great today. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's a, one of the major angles for me. So the slight guys I'd like to show the slight guys of our time and to continue showing the accurate representation of people. Okay. Very, very good explanation. And I think all our photos should, that should be all our goals. So, I, I thank you for sharing that. Uh, if you could go back to day one when you got your star card and went to the BX and you bought your, your Canon Rebel, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I'm trying to take myself back to that day. <laughs> I could have shaved a lot of money at that time just getting a film camera. <laughs> I could have. I could have just, because at that time, film still wasn't expensive. 
and stuff. So I think I would have probably go back and tell myself, yo, try try a film camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, I get the benefits of having a digital machine. Like I can see my can make my corrections on the fly, but I think it would have been something different to have that um, on in, on film because it just would have been cheaper to have. And, and the batteries, you need something to do when you're off time. So developing film and all of that stuff would have been a great thing to learn then. Mm-hmm. So I would say that to myself, man, go go get a $200 film camera and the other 300 I think two hundred dollars now is just gonna buy you one roll of film. Fucking Kodak. That's how it feels. Actually, I was in. It's probably a little marked up because of the import. But I was at a camera shop, a local camera shop here, and they sell film occasionally. And a box of Portra four hundred. Five rolls, $180. Yeah. See? When when I got into film SD photography. card, <laughs> yeah. $2. And, and I'm, I'll be there soon, but uh, HP5 is going to be my, my, my go-to. Cheap, affordable, great quality film. Uh, but when I first got into film, Kodak Portra, a box of five was about $36. And now here we are. Close to two hundred. Yeah, good luck. Yep, good luck. I, I I love it too much to to stop shooting film. Um, I couldn't stop. I I enjoy it too much. But it all has its moments. It all has it all has its moments, and it all has its place. As long as somebody making work, I don't care what you shot it on. But once it's printed up there on the wall, and they're looking at it on the wall, that's the least of the questions people are asking. To be honest, true, true. Do you uh, prints? I see a lot of photos on your wall. Are these all photos you taken yourself? Yeah, yeah. These are all photos I've taken. Um, I have a printer here. I'll, I'll make prints. Um, I've got a bunch of select prints I'm doing. I'm working on a book right now, so got a bunch of select prints. Um, it's really it. I just put them up because the walls are looking naked. <laughs> so I needed to do something about it. What do you feel is the importance? Some some are taken down as a fair acquisition. Sorry, what was I was going to say? What do you feel is the importance of printing your photos? I think that's the final life for a photo. The photos, I don't think the photos done until you print. Okay, that's a good. Um, that's the first time because, I heard that. Because that print, if you do. If you, yeah, if you do a, if you do a good print, a real archival print, it's gonna outlast you. It's gonna outlast generations. It's gonna be that's your physical marker in the world. Like, don't get digital is not <laughs> the you know the the marker that one day somebody could kick over the internet plug and all your photos are gone. Like, internet shuts down for a day, you're doomed. Like, you're done. You can tell somebody you're a photographer and then won't have nothing. You know, but if you have prints. At least somebody can scan a print later on and, you know, and have it printed. You know, you can do something like that. Oh, if you're shooting film, you got the negatives or whatever the case may be. But at the end of it all, it's print. Like, the print is the final, I think it's the final life cycle for a photo. Definitely. Whether that be in a book, whether it be a physical print print itself, um, magazine, something that has to live in a physical. Sorry, breaking up. I came back so now is a part of the podcast where i would like for you to recommend anybody you feel that 
deserves to be recognized. Photographers, artists, poets, musicians. Anybody you think that needs to be recognized and doesn't get enough recognition, uh, who would you like to highlight? Um, I know so many creatives. Um, in no particular order, though, I'm going to start with um, uh, my homeboy, Dolo Photo. Uh, his, his name is Chris, Christopher Davis, but he, he goes by Dolo Photo on IG, uh, D-O-L-O underscore F-O-T-O. Uh, really good source of information. Uh, he's from North New Jersey. Uh, he's been documenting out there, just getting, you know, showing up in a better light than what most people that come visit will give you, will give you the real deal. Um, another gentleman from New Jersey as well, Habib. Um, his Instagram is Beloved One. Uh, he's another uh, great photographer from Jersey. He's from Trenton. Um, and he has a really good um, knowledge of the history of Trenton and what it means to the world. So he, he'd be a great person to speak to about that. Uh, another gentleman by the name of Sean Pridgen. Uh, named Sean Pridgen, straight like that on Instagram. Um, He's a he's a really another good dude that's that's doing the work. He has a pro, he has an amazing project that he's working on right now. I'll let him discuss that if ever. But um, he's working on a lot of things. Um, who else do I know? I know so many. Um, on the top of my head, it's like when you ask somebody like who's your top three rap favorite rappers, it just switches. Um, it's like damn. Uh, man, who else? If I could think of any more, man, like yeah, once this is over, I don't have no problem to you. Yeah, there's a because there's a few. I'm just I'm just drawing the blank on so many names. Uh, no Anthony words. Gathers is another one. I, uh, yeah, that's that's my guy too. I known him since grade school. Yeah. Is D Dwyer? I know you already spoke with um, Cherise May already. Um, yeah, any more of the ones I think of, man, I'll send you all the names, and you just yeah. they're pretty cool to reach out to and talk to. And I'm gonna say I'm not not doing the interview. Cool. Well, thank you for that. Uh, we will get these guys put up on the show notes when I upload your episode. It'll be up there, I promise. Uh, and then the final question I always end this on. Thank you, Craig Clark. Is what does street photography mean to you? Right now, so I got your time, uh, you know, a clear, at its very basic level, a very clear implementation of what today is for tomorrow. That's really necessary. it, man. I mean, it means a lot to me on a, you know, personal level because it wasn't until I made my work outside in the street photographing on things that meant something to me that I got some type of a claim for, you know, 2020 was, that was the, the year the world was in turmoil, but I flourished, mm-hmm. you know, like went outside with every intention to just make work. Felt like I had to make the work and got my first publication and interviews. And that's when the school wanted to stand behind me and yeah. promote and push my photos in the newsletter and things of that nature. So it, it, it meant a lot. It meant a lot. 
on a personal level, but for the for the, the main gist of it all is it's a document of today for tomorrow. So I want I want that people to be able to come back and look at these like they look back at some of the greats before us. But man, remember when they wore this? They wore suits all the time in the nineteen fifties. Blah 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 blah. Like you look back at this and like, what is this little white thing in everybody's ears? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a whole different whole different world. Definitely is. Times have changed. So, uh, thank you for that. Uh, again, thank you for the conversation. Uh, those are all the questions I have. Now, if you have any questions for me, feel free to ask, and I will answer the best I can. Okay. Well, first off, thank you, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out. Um, it's always good to do dope podcasts, have conversations, so thank you for that. Um, only question I really have, how much longer are you going to be in uh, Japan for? Ooh, my extension just got approved, so I'll be here to 2027. Yeah, be here okay. For, for a little while. That's good and bad, because I'm working on trying to make, um, I'm just trying to make some, put some places on the list to visit. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really get to travel that much, but I want to travel. Japan since a kid has always been um, on my list, and I think it's good to know somebody that's there whenever I do come. Yeah. Um, there's a point of reference of POC. Um, about uh, what's going on as in person to contact for those listening not person to color I know so many acronyms everywhere but mm-hmm. um, person to contact and get anything when I get out there because I definitely I've, I've always thought of Japan as like the future like when you look at it like yeah. it's a whole nother day in Japan version <laughs> whatever time frame I'm yeah. so I'll be wanting to I want to see what that's like so that'd be good to know the Wait, what's shooting like out there is it like Chicago in the sense of like condensed of people, condensed on mix of people. Ah, uh, it's it's completely different, man. It, I, 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 I think you will have the most fun shooting there because it's it's different. That that's all I can really say. It's just different, you know. If you're shooting in Tokyo, like. No one even bats an eye. They're so busy trying to get somewhere, like they don't even see cameras. You know, like a camera is the most camera is the most recognized tool in the world, right? But you're so like it doesn't matter. You you just be out there with your camera, and it's just a different experience. Um, it's fun. I think you would enjoy it. I, I really love shooting in Tokyo. Okinawa is a little more slow paced. Naha is probably the largest city and the busiest. Uh, but the part where I'm at is is kind of, I would probably say it's probably similar to where you're at. Very slow paced. Um, hardly, hardly ever someone in the street. There's people there, but you'll see the same person. Um, Tokyo. Osaka, the main cities, I would I would highly recommend. Um, okay. I do know. So my my military career is is really fortunate. Uh, when I finish my assignment here, I'll be two years close to retirement, or I will have two years left until I'm retirement eligible. So my next assignment will be my last one with the military. Uh, I will retire and then I will move to Tokyo permanently. Uh, so yeah. that's my life plan, man. Like, Tokyo is just a world in its own. 
it's it's like every major city in the world wrapped up in one and it's safe. I don't got to worry about looking over my shoulder. I don't mm-hmm. got to worry about any of that nonsense that people in the states did. I dealt with that. I don't I don't need to deal with it anymore. So mm-hmm. uh is your, is your daughter out in Japan with you as well? My daughter? Yeah. Uh she is she she's living in Tokyo. Um she'll be leaving soon. Uh different family. So uh but that's mm-hmm. you know, a different chapter for her in her life. Uh, but like you, miss her every day and I I kind of you know, I was empathetic. I, I know exactly what you mean by being separated from your child. Yeah. So um definitely connected to that. Uh but yeah, I went I'm I'm trying to see her as much as I can. So, yeah, I, I I honestly I think you you'll love shooting in Tokyo. It's it's different. Uh, if you do ever plan to come out here anytime soon, I know they're open, um, starting to allow a lot of travelers in and out of Japan. Uh, COVID's kind of relaxing a little bit restriction wise. Um, so if you're ever out here, uh, just let me know. Meet up anytime. I'll definitely will let you know because I, I want to come out there. I've always wanted to go out to Japan. We well before I became a photographer. I wanted to always go. I wanted to see what Japan looked like. So yeah. it's well, on you, the list, man. I'll be there for a while. I'm surprised you didn't get stationed in Tokyo or out here in Okinawa. A lot of army. You are in the Air Force where they treat their service members with love and respect. <laughs> I was in the United States Army where. Just do the work, man. <laughs> you yeah. know, at Fort Drum, the barracks we lived in were so were so like subpar that if uh, any airmen had to come and stay in our barracks, you would you get an increase in pay. Yeah, <laughs> because it's below your living standards, like, and that's our regular every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, yo, this is so fucked up. We had to do a a temporary deployment with Marines and. It was marine funded, so they put us in like these trailers, and the the leadership that was in charge of it, like, yeah, we we ain't never doing that ever again. But I've, I've heard I've heard about that. Uh, a lot of people that get deployed and put in the, the army barracks, the marine barracks, they get an incentive pays. No, oh, yeah, because below y'all live, y'all live in dorms. We live in barracks. barracks. <laughs> it sounds rough. Like. <laughs> it, it's rough. It's rough in them barracks. But hey, but you know what? I, I'm not going to lie. Like I, I'm Air Force, but when I first came out to Okinawa, my cousin was a Marine, and he was stationed in uh, one of the bases close to where I'm at. And mm-hmm. I would honestly spend almost every day over there in the Marine barracks. It was just a different life experience. and. It, yeah. it was a, it was a lot more. It was fun. I enjoyed it more than living in the dorms. But uh, it's kind of listen. Yeah, it came and went. It's here. I, I don't live in the barracks no more. Uh, <laughs> I don't, well, I'm good. Thank you for your service. I'm gonna go ahead and throw that out there. Man, thank you for yours. You uh, signed up as well, bro. I appreciate it. Um, Fort Drum. Is that the one close to Savannah? Nah, Fort okay. Drum is upstate New York, like oh, forty-five minutes from right. Savannah. Okay, I, I, I it's, it's not fun. Fort Hood, that's the one in Georgia, 
right? No, yeah, bullet is in is in Texas, I believe. The oh, one that's in Texas. I don't remember. I don't know which. I don't. My brother's army, and uh, I visited him twice. One, he was at a base in Georgia, close to Savannah. I went to that one, and then the other one in Virginia Beach. I'm not gonna lie, I don't remember the uh, names of either of them, but I was there. Hey, listen, hey, they are what they are. They is what they. They all start looking the same after a while, yeah. you know. But that's neither here nor there. No, they they look the same because uh, even the army bases out here in Okinawa look the same as. Well, the facilities, the buildings, and all that, they're the same. It's like the same, well, yeah, Army CE, so. Mm-hmm. You got the same architect, the mm-hmm. same squares, same color paint, everything. I get it. The BX, the BX, whatever you want to call it, it's a military Walmart. Exactly. Um, yeah, cool. All right, any other questions for me? Nah, man, it's been great, man. Yeah, it's yeah, been yeah. Great. Uh, welcome back anytime, and thank you to the listeners that lasted this long. Uh, Mike Alamo, this one for you too, because you told me my podcasts are too long. They're gonna keep being too long, so uh, thanks. Man, you still listen? They gave me a one star rating. Honestly, I don't mind. It's not for him. He just doesn't have to listen. He or she, I don't know. Hater's going to hate. Hater's going to hate too, right? I love that movie, by the way. Uh, Yeah, so thank you, everybody. Like us, Street Photography Collective. Chris Facey, go support him. Go check out his show uh, and all that other good stuff. So thank you. Have a great day.